Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to another week of Lost in Science. My name is Claire and look out everyone, we have 30 minutes of some of the most interesting science that you'll get anywhere, I reckon, ready and lined up for you to go. And uh, with me on the show, Chris and Stu, hello, hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And Stu, um, what do you have for us on the show this week that's going to, I imagine, blow our minds? Oh, look, it's probably not going to blow your minds. might blow some tiny little ships out of the water. I've been spending a lot of time online because, as you know, we have been locked down and spending a lot of time communicating with people online. I've been coming across a lot of, you know, various discussions about a particular topic which may have come to your attention. I mean, a few a few spring to mind when you talk about your um, discussions online. <laughs> but which, uh, which, look, which one the, is it, Stu? The big topic of conversation around the world still is the global pandemic, obviously. Oh, and that one. As it keeps coming up in comment sections on news articles and also in free-ranging discussions out in the wilds of social media... One of the things that does come up is the phrase "big pharma," mm-hmm. and we're not t- we're not we're not talking about large jolly men who drive mm-hmm. around in tractors. We're talking about the pharmaceutical companies who make the medicines and drugs that many people need throughout the world. But I think "big pharma" is used as a kind of catch-all for the pharmaceutical industry, and it is definitely used in a pejorative sense, as mm. in. They're, they're out to get us. They're out doing evil things. They're trying to, mm. to, to control to people's make, they're lives. They're out to make money. I kind of wanted to have a bit of a look at what this big pharma phrase means and where does it come from? Why did it get such a foothold in the popular imagination and and why it's actually not particularly relevant when you live in Australia as we do? I'm looking forward to hearing your your insights Chris, what do you have for us? I am going to address other conspiracy theories in general. Because I've, they've been getting my goat lately. Because there have been a lot of conspiracy theories. I don't know if you've noticed. Due to yeah. the COVID pandemic. And it's not just the crazy ones. Like the whole kind of, um, you know, Bill Gates is inserting chips to connect to 5G. But it's it's the kind of thinking that is kind of everywhere at the moment. And mm. A couple of things really got me thinking about this uh, lately. And one was a post on the website Medium um, that was shared a lot recently. It was by electrical engineer and internet entrepreneur Matt Barry talking about how some of the modelling from the Doherty Institute that is being used to, you know, work out our path out of lockdown. Um, basically talking about how he believed that was mistaken. Now, the Doherty report is like 66 pages long. I have two small baby to look after. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm trying to find an expert to, to give me um, a, some opinion on whether this is the, you know, what's correct or not. But the only sort of feedback I've got, apart from this, like I said, internet entrepreneur, was um, 
a physicist of all people, criticising Matt Barry's post. And I was thinking, where are the experts in this? It just seems to be the amateur epidemiologists who have come back again and having a discussion. But it is actually difficult to consult those experts because the article in question kind of discredits them. You know, he refers to their work as manufactured scientific opinion to achieve a political outcome by working the numbers backwards. That is a direct quote. So, you know, with that kind of thing... He's basically saying you can't trust what the experts are saying. He does quote some scientists. The only one of the only actual scientists he quotes is also an ivermectin proponent. So, yeah, it just got me thinking. You didn't have to go far to get into some sort of conspiracy theory territory here. I thought I would talk about how this kind of thinking is something we're all susceptible to. Um, it doesn't mean that these ideas are wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't discuss these things. But it's just something to be aware of if you find yourself headed down that particular road. Well, um, it, I mean, it certainly sounds like... We've all probably been spending a bit too much time on the internet, but for anybody else out there who's been spending a lot of time on the internet and having the same sort of thoughts and discussions in their head, um, two incredible stories uh, to get you thinking. On with the show. spend any time reading comments on the internet, whether on social media posts or news articles, you will know there is a lot of discussion about, well, everything, really. (laughs) Uh, Whatever is the topic du jour, unsolicited and unqualified opinions are plenty, are bound to be offered, often as facts. Uh, And of course, the biggest topic of the last 20 months has been the global pandemic But reading any public discussion during the pandemic, it won't be long before someone uses the term Big Pharma, which is a loaded shorthand term. It's supposed to be some kind of trump card. I thought I would look at what does Big Pharma mean and is it a relevant point to bring up in talking about the pandemic and how we're dealing with it, particularly in Australia. So firstly, I wanted to consider that the term Big Pharma is a catch-all term for the pharmaceutical industry and largely sprung from the United States, where healthcare is a completely different landscape to, let's be honest, most of the developed world. So in the US, the level of state-funded healthcare is quite minimal. So people without their own health insurance get very little help from hospitals and doctors without paying out of their own pocket. Um, And I looked up some figures. A trip to the emergency room uh, in a hospital could cost anywhere between $150 and $3,000. And that's just going to ER. And that depends on what the problem is. Uh, If you go there in an ambulance, it could cost you $400 up to several thousand dollars, depending how far you travel in the ambulance. If you need any tests done, it's extra hundreds of dollars on top of that. So just going to talk to a doctor is going to cost you hundreds of dollars in the U.S., In this kind of system, any drugs prescribed or required by patients also cost their money directly. And this is probably where the big pharma concept originated. The idea that 
pharmaceutical companies are overcharging for medicine and, you know, the kind of conspiracy theory that they keep people sick to make more money or they withhold cures for disease to increase profits kind of grew out of this system of healthcare or this lack of a healthcare system, if you look at it that way. And look, that's not to say that large corporations don't need to be regulated. They absolutely do. But the US system appears to have almost been set up deliberately to benefit these pharmaceutical companies uh, and, and the other healthcare companies around them. Now, if we, if we come back home, in Australia, we have a completely different system. Our federal government has a medical safety net called Medicare, which generally covers emergency and chronic illness for Australian people. So if you go for a visit to the GP, it's covered by Medicare through bulk billing, which accounts still for over two-thirds of GP visits in Australia. Though You don't pay any extra to go and see the GP. It's just all covered by Medicare and bulk billing. And, you know, there are doctors who will charge a bit extra to patients, but not every doctor does, and you can look around and find a doctor who will give you a fully bulk-billed appointment. So you're basically covered there. Visits to hospitals are also covered, as are emergency trips in ambulances, although if you have to get an ambulance and it's not an emergency, they will sting you. So be an ambulance subscriber is my advice on that front. But basically, if you go to a hospital, you don't have to bring your ATM card, you need to bring your Medicare card, just so they can check out who you are, but you'll get treated, and this is the point. It doesn't cost you money to go and get healthcare. We also have the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, or the PBS, which is another government program, and that allows patients to buy prescription treatments at a much discounted rate that they, than they would be charged if they bought them at the market price. So if, they, you know, if we didn't have this PBS scheme, a lot of the commonly used medicines that people get prescribed every day would cost a lot more than what they actually do when you go to the chemist if you've got a prescription. That PBS scheme is basically a subsidy system so that sick people don't end up bankrupting themselves to get treatment. And that can be for a short-term illness that's covered by the PBS, or it even covers chronic long-term illnesses like things like diabetes and other chronic illnesses like that. You can get all of your medication subsidised by this PBS scheme. And that is a government program. It's something that Australian people have voted to, to have put in place and we've voted to keep it for a really long time. So with this kind of safety net and with government agencies negotiating with pharmaceutical companies to get better deals for these subsidised drugs, the idea of big pharma in Australia doesn't make a lot of sense. The pharmaceutical companies are not really able to act as a group and get a better deal for the pharmaceutical industry. They're actually competing with each other to be suppliers for the PBS scheme and see who can be the supplier and get, get the gig, I guess. Um, so they're in competition with each other. They're not a big cabal of evil, conspiring companies doing things in the darkness. They're actually constantly communicating with the government about what they sell and who can give a better drug and do the job better and all this sort of thing. Now, I just wanted to look at the size of these companies. So they are big companies. Yes, pharmaceuticals do have very high revenues. The companies are very large. But providing healthcare is big business because everyone needs healthcare during their lives. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are lots of people in the world. There are 
you know, over 7 billion of us and there are over 7 billion of us and, you know, people get sick of all sorts of different things at, you know, different times in their lives. So looking at the biggest companies as well, you'd expect this big pharma, all these big pharmaceutical companies would be way up the top of the list. If you actually look at the list of the top public listed companies in the world, there are no pharmaceutical companies in the top 10. It's not until you get to the 14th uh, biggest company that we hit a company that produces pharmaceuticals. That company is Johnson & Johnson. You may know from such hits as No More Tears Baby Shampoo, Evil Johnson & Johnson. Is, um, that a, is that a pharmaceutical? Like, how do they stop the tears? Well, it's not really a pharmaceutical. It's just a formula for shampoo, really. Right. <laughs> um, they they get about half their revenue from pharmaceuticals, which includes things like Tylenol, which we don't really have in Australia. We sell it under different brand names. It's paracetamol, basically. So a lot of the revenue for these companies is from drugs, which you can just buy over the counter. Um, you don't need a prescription. They're cheap enough. They're not patented drugs anymore. They're just stuff that they happen to manufacture and they sell them. So half of their income as the 14th biggest company is from stuff that isn't actually pharmaceuticals. It is from shampoo and baby powder and other various products they make which don't classify as pharmaceuticals. Also, if you look at the 100 biggest companies by value, pharmaceutical companies make up about 10% of the 100 biggest companies by value. Divided between 16 different companies. So the 10% of the value of the 100 biggest companies is divided among 16 pharmaceutical companies. There's no monolithic big pharma. There's a lot of small competing businesses, or well, small comparatively <laughs> competing businesses, but that 10% is split between 16 companies. And revenue is not necessarily a good measure of this because the profit margins are not big in pharmaceuticals. They make, they take a lot of money. They have a big revenue stream, but their profit margins are very small because their costs are very high. They have to do lots of safety testing. They have to do lots of research. They have to do, they have a lot of spending to do as a company to actually get these products onto market and to get it through things like the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia, which is the the organisation, part of the the government organisations that approve medicines for use in Australia. So they've got to meet all these standards. Their profits are actually quite small compared to how much money they take as revenue. If you compare the uh, profits they have to other industries like, say, resource extraction, so oil and gas companies and mining companies and things like that, or technology companies, the profit margins of those companies are much, much bigger. So they've got a lot more money to spend on, you know, lobbying and and influencing people and marketing and all these other things. So if we look at the biggest sector in the top 100 companies, 30% of the value is in tech companies. And that's divided among only 20 companies. So there's a much bigger share in tech companies, in each individual tech company in that top 100 than in any pharmaceutical company. So if we look at the top 10 companies by value, uh, we find names like Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet, who you may know better as Google, and 
Facebook, who are in the top 10 companies by value as well. Now, it seems to me that all of those companies uh, stand to benefit a lot more from people arguing about Big Pharma on the internet than Big Pharma stand to make by selling medicine to people, which they actually need. Now, I just wanted to finish by saying in Australia... Uh, we, we should we should not be worrying so much about big pharma. We have a lot more control over our healthcare and over our healthcare system, and we can take that control and keep that control by voting for governments that will protect that healthcare system. And we've got a lot less to fear uh, while that healthcare system is intact than in places where. Big Pharma might actually be something to worry about. As I was saying in the introduction, there have been a lot of conspiracy theories going around lately. You've probably heard a lot, particular from the the anti-vax, anti-lockdown crowd. And I think we've seen how bad they can get at some of the protests and things there have been lately. You know, there have been like um, neo-Nazi symbols pasted around Melbourne. There have been, I've seen anti-Semitic memes on Facebook. Uh, And just want to note that a lot of these extreme conspiracy theories end up, seem to end up in that kind of neo-Nazi, anti-Semitic area. And, you know, and that's something that I think if you're involved in those kind of things and you've missed all the other red flags with what you're, what you're doing, when you start having Nazis marching alongside you, that should be, give you cause for concern. Um, so yeah, that is actually something that is quite serious, uh, not to be made light of, but what I want to focus more on is something more benign, I suppose, um, kind of conspiracies, uh, a kind of a way of thinking that we are really all susceptible to, and you probably didn't even notice necessarily that you're doing it. Um, it's very common. There was actually, um, I did find some recent research. There was a study that was published in March this year that looked at Australian and New Zealand conspiracy theories in particular, and they asked a bunch of people um, about a you know, series of conspiracy theories, which ones they subscribe to. 56.7% of the Australians believed in at least one of the conspiracy theories on offer. The most popular being on their list was the conspiracy that um, Farlap was poisoned by gangsters in America. <laughs> that is... Wow, that's that's going back a bit, isn't it? It is. It's like 90 years ago, so it still yeah. is, it's still a bit raw. It's, it's good, this is the thing, it's good so, to know that... It's good to know that Australians don't forgive and forget. They just, they just yeah. hang on to it. And, well, like, and I, would, I would argue, is that conspiracy or, or, or 90 years ago, that sort of, you know, morphs into folklore? Look, it, I guess it does a little bit. They could fit Canada conspiracy theory, so I'm going along with the experts on this yeah. one. But look, it's a great example of, again, this kind of thinking. Um, look, sporting conspiracies in particular are very easy to believe, and they are usually quite benign. You know, it's a whole thing of you believe that the, uh, you know, the umpire has it in for your team, for instance, because they're all the calls are going against you. It's, well, that's not a conspiracy. That's sometimes just a fact, Chris. 
<laughs> Everyone thinks that the umpires are against their team, though. But this is the thing. So it is it is kind of a particular way of thinking. And one of the things he thinks about it is, is I guess, this identity side of things. So with Farlap in particular, or even with the sporting team you, you um, support, you know, it is uh, something that you identify with as part of your group. It's something that you take seriously, perhaps. Now, we've just heard a spirited defence by Stu of Big Pharma. You'll find criticism of Big Pharma these days from that aforementioned anti-vax crowd. And as a result, a lot of people who are pro-vaccine are pretty much going to be agreeing with Stu, saying the Big Pharma are not the enemies here. But, you know, I'm just wondering, like pre-COVID, would the positions have been the same? Would there have been more scepticism, perhaps, in the actions of pharmaceutical companies? I did have a bit of a look through the discussions uh, from previous years, there was a bit of concern that the um, the pharmaceutical benefit scheme that Stu mentioned would be dismantled by lobbying from um, big pharma companies. Then there's also, you know, there is, uh, I think, as we, as we have discussed, um, some bad behaviour on the part of those companies. There is, um, you know, trying to influence medical professionals to prescribe their products. There is lobbying of governments, uh, which, as Stu also pointed out, we have controls in the place in the Australian system to limit the power of companies in this in these circumstances. Which, of course, then is not to say that they can't get around those controls. Which kind of then brings us back around to saying, yes, you know, sometimes people do bad things. Sometimes there are real conspiracies in the world. But, you know, when you just say things like casually, they're all in the pocket of big pharma, you are basically accusing people of often illegal behavior, not just corrupt, but illegal behavior. And it's a serious allegation. It's not just a a light thing to be thrown around. But it is quite common when people are trying to discuss, you know, what they don't like about these companies. Uh, And this is all relevant to another example that really got me thinking along these lines. And that is the the resurgent uh, theory that the coronavirus leaked from a Chinese lab. Now, this story has a lot of proponents. Um, It has largely been promoted and pushed into the public eye by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, in particular science writer Nicholas Wade, has been a big force behind this very influential. A bunch of other people have jumped on it, but his writing has been um, printed in a few places and has um, kind of influenced a lot of this, um, uh, the current thinking. And central to his argument is a teleconference that occurred in February 2020 between uh, a bunch of leading virologists and Anthony Fauci um, from the United States. Now, allegedly before this meeting, all the participants were leaning towards the idea that the virus came from the Wuhan laboratory, but afterwards they agreed that that was a conspiracy theory that they needed to publish letters um, to journals saying not to believe. And the implication from all this is that there were financial interests involved. Um, Nicholas Wade's articles point out that some of the participants have since received millions of dollars in funding from Fauci's organisation. And he also alleges that there has been influence from the Chinese government. So it is Fauci and the Chinese Communist Party working together to influence the position of virologists. Basically is the position that we have here. Now, there are a lot of people who take the, this lab leak hypothesis seriously uh, and they object to how it has been previously denigrated as a conspiracy conspiracy theory. Um, I guess, look, I want to just point out that it is a theory of a conspiracy and I'm struggling to think of another term to describe it. <laughs> 
Um, but look, it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean there isn't a real conspiracy hit there. Um, and I would love to be able to dig into how realistic the theory is. But it is really hard to examine the science of it or even to go and like ask experts what they think of the science of it because essential to the whole point of the hypothesis is that the scientists are lying because they're all in on it. So, you know, it basically leaves you with nowhere to go. Um, and this is one of my concerns with this kind of stuff, as well as it being kind of a serious accusation. You're basically accusing people of selling out to, um, again, to Fauci or the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, it is dangerous to the process of science because you're basically shutting down the scientific argument, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean, uh, the way the way science works is not that individuals uh, say certain things and and that is how science advances. The... The science works by publishing data, which other scientists can then look at and verify and retest themselves and reanalyze and all that sort of thing. But, you know, saying, saying that, oh, this scientist is crooked, they've taken a, a payoff or something like that is, well, for one thing, it, it is, you know, defamation uh, if, it's, if it's not true. But, but I think the, the only way to prove a conspiracy is happening is to provide evidence that the conspiracy happened. You can read any piece of information as being, well, that seems like it could be a conspiracy, but unless you've got evidence, solid evidence, that there is actually conspiracy to defraud or to cover something up or whatever it might be, you can't really demonstrate that it's happening. And unless you can demonstrate that it's happening, well, it's not really happening. You're right. And that is what that is one of the, the features of conspiracy theory thinking is that whole kind of going from the something is wrong, therefore my theory is correct. Uh, or something doesn't add up. Whereas as you, you're quite right, you need to, you need evidence for the conspiracy, not just a lack of evidence um, to satisfy you of a different story. Um, like in the case of this um, this teleconference that I mentioned, the scientists involved say that the evidence changed, that they looked at what was happening and they, they changed their mind. Um, and that happens in science all the time. Um, can be as a result of these people getting together and plotting, but could also just be because the evidence changes. It is something that is kind of, it is a risk in how we deal with science and how we talk about science. Again, not to ignore those conspiracies, but you also, you know, we shouldn't let us stop the scientific, derail the scientific process. And, you know, theories like this, they can also derail us in other ways as well, because we are attracted to theories, ideas that someone specific has done something nefarious. And that can distract us from things like, in this case, the very real possibility that the virus hopped from animals to humans. This is something that has happened a lot in the past. It has been warned about for many years. It's an ongoing thing that we seem to be failing to do anything about. But we'd much rather talk about people having conspiracies behind um, locked doors than doing anything about you know, the, the continuing threat of zoonotic spillover, as it's called. So, yeah, look, that is, this is my warning, essentially, in this, that if you find, if you have a hypothesis, if you have a theory, and part of your theory requires there to be a conspiracy, then maybe just take a step back, be aware of that, take a step back and ask whether you are, in fact, heading down a, a dangerous path.
And that's all we have time for on another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at lostinsightgmail.com. We are Lost in Science 1 on Twitter or on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or just join us again next week when we get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.